are in a sermon series on doubt titled When in Doubt. If you're going to put something on social media, please use the hashtag When in Doubt so we can all see it. If you would like these sermon notes or any sermon notes or if you have a question about the church or you can anything that you want to know or, or comment you want to make, use the email address that's uh, up on the screen and uh, we will be glad to respond to that. Um, just want to give you that one way to communicate with us. Let's go to uh, the text we've been using for this entire series. Next week we begin a brand new sermon series uh, um, and, and the creative team has created an awesome graphic and all of that and you'll be excited to see it. But generally what we'll be talking about beginning next week is discouragement. Discouragement. One of the greatest tools in the enemy's belt that he uses against us is discouragement. So we're going to talk about people in the Bible who got discouraged, people who were uh, great followers of God, great forefathers of our faith, but they became discouraged. We're going to look at how they handled it, what they did when they got discouraged. I know that it's not a very relevant topic, but I'm just going to go ahead and preach on it anyway, starting next Sunday. How many of you all know that we all battle discouragement? Just like we all battle doubt we all battle discouragement, so we're going to talk about that uh, for four weeks beginning next Sunday. Let's go to 1 John. The Bible says in the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he tells us why he wrote the book of John, the Gospel of John, the fourth book of the New Testament. He says, I wrote these words to unbelievers. He said, uh, because I want them to know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he tells us why he wrote the three epistles of John. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Epistles, also another word for that is letters. He wrote these letters. He said, these things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So he's saying, I'm talking to those who have believed. It's very clear in John 20 that he was addressing the gospel of John to unbelievers. But here he says, I'm talking to those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God. And the reason I'm going to write things I'm going to write, especially in 1 John, is so that you may have confidence. So that you may have that old hymn, blessed assurance. Because we have to have confidence as believers. We have to have assurance as believers. Why is it important? Because it is the foundation, my confidence as a Christian is the foundation upon which I stand when I do ministry. When I do ministry as I'm doing ministry right now, preaching the gospel to you. But also in my one-on-one -on -one ministry. If somebody calls me on the telephone and they say, I need to talk to you about my relationship with God or who God is or I get an email and this happens all the time, my ministry to that person individually or my ministry to this church as a body is based on my confidence, not in me, not in me, but my confidence in who I am in Christ Jesus. He says, I've written 1 John so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, there are a lot of things we might doubt about. I mean, you might have a fleeting moment of, what if there is no God? You might have a, a fleeting doubt of, what if the Bible really isn't 
true. You may have fleeting doubts that come, but here's where the enemy wants to get you. If he can get you to doubt your relationship with God, if he can get you to doubt that, then you are going to be not fruitful, fruitless as a Christian. You're going to be ineffective. When you know that the promises of God are true, when you know that God has laid out in his word how you can have a right relationship with him through his son Jesus, and you have obeyed and you have followed through and you have embraced the truth, and you know that, and the enemy can make you doubt that, then it's going to make you less effective. As a matter of fact, it's going to make you ineffective. I'm not saying it's going to make you not a Christian, but it's going to make you a weak Christian, an anemic Christian. So we're talking about how we may know, how we may know. And there are three major questions that uh, John gives us. And uh, the first one we've already talked about, he uh, says the question of keeping his commandments. So you ask yourself that you might have confidence, that you might know, that you might have assurance. You ask yourself, do I keep the commandments? Now, I'm not going to re-preach that sermon. I really could because I really enjoyed preaching that one. But I'm not going to re-preach it. But focus in on the word keeping. What does that mean? Look what it says, 1 John 2 and 3, New American Standard Bible. By this, by what? By this we what? know that we have come to know him. So he says, if you want to know that you're a Christian, if you want to know that you have come to know him as your Lord and Savior, if you want to know that, if you want to have confidence about that, then you have to ask yourself this question, do I keep his commandments? Now we taught you that that word keep is a mariner's term. And it is not requiring of us sinless perfection Nowhere in the Bible are we required sinless perfection. We are made right to enter into heaven through the impartation of the holiness of Jesus as we stand before God. But in and of ourselves, we will never reach sinless perfection. How many of you are glad God doesn't require sinless perfection? Because I think I'd be okay, but some of y'all <laughs> might have a problem. I'm just saying. So, keeping his commandments. You know what? Let, let me, we, i got to stick there just a minute. Do you love his word? Do you love his truth? Do you cherish his requirements? How many of you know his requirements are, are difficult sometimes? But you cherish them. Pastor Farrell, do you ever not keep one of his commandments? I would tell you that I always keep them except for one thing. Miss Millie goes to this church. And since Miss Millie goes to this church, if I were to stand up and say I always keep all of his commandments, I have a strong witness against me. So I'm not going to stand up here and say that to you. I don't always keep his commandments in the sense of obeying all of them every single day in thought and deed. I mess up. Who's with me? Because y'all look really holy out there. You look really holy when I said that. I mess up. I need forgiveness. I need constant love. I need constant long-suffering from the Lord. I need patience from the Lord. I need mercy from the Lord. I need grace from the Lord because I blow it. Anybody else in here blow it? Thank God when he says keep his commandments, he's talking about your, your charting your life by his word. Planning your future by his word. 
putting your life in, in his hands and trusting his word. And when those times come when you are weak and you stumble, you step out of bounds of the commandments, the Holy Spirit is like a referee in a basketball game. When you step out of bounds, he blows the whistle, don't he? You know what? Can I tell you something about the Holy Spirit blowing the whistle when I step out of bounds? I hate the whistle. But I love the whistle. Amen? I don't like to hear the whistle, but I'm glad God loves me enough to go, Hey, big boy, you just stepped out of bounds so that I can have that sense of conviction in my life that brings me back to God. Amen, amen. That's good preaching right there. Let's go to the next one. We talked about this one last week, the question of love. You want to know if you're a, a true Christian? You want to know if you're a true follower of Jesus? John says to ask yourself this question. Do you love? Do you love? Not just people you choose to love and want to love, but do you love as God loves? Because we read last week in the last scripture that I read to you, and I hope you'll get those notes, that he, re, he requires of us that we love as he has loved. And here's what I would say about his love. For God so loved the world. And I got to tell you, we live in a day. We live in a day when we are divided by politicians. We live in a day when politicians don't work to bring us together. They work to divide us. And we've got to learn to get beyond that and love one another. We may not agree with one another. How many of you disagree with your spouse from time to time? I mean, you can't help it if she's wrong, but from time to time she is. Amen? But we still love her, don't we, guys? Ladies, we still love you. You blow it. You mess up. You don't get it. But girls, we love you. All right, ladies, how many of you know he blows it too and you still love him anyway? Amen, amen. Amen. Love. When we see suffering, we love. I don't care what color their skin. I don't care where they are on the map of this world. I don't care uh, what they believe. I don't care what religion they are in. The Bible says when Jesus looked on the Jews and they refused to accept him as Lord and Savior, he didn't get angry. He didn't lash out. Jesus wept. He wept. And when we look at the news and we, we see what's going on in this world, let us not rejoice at the suffering of others, even if the suffering is their own fault. As we look at scenes in courtrooms and all of that, let us not rejoice in the suffering of another, but let us weep and pray for the salvation of their lost soul. And if you love like that, if you love like that, and you're a follower of Jesus. Look what it says, 1 John 3, 14. We, what? Yes. Know that we have passed from death unto life. That means we know we're saved. We know we're Christians because we, we love the brethren. Now, he's talking here about other believers. But the Bible tells us to love the whole world. And here he addresses how the church needs to be in love. Um, 
One of the worst things we can do as a church is fight with each other while the world is watching. We can disagree, we can have our different ideas, we can have our different thoughts, and, and I think God planned it that way. My opinions are not yours, your opinions are not all mine. We think differently, we view differently, we see things differently, but at the end of the day, love supersedes. Amen? Amen. You know it's best to keep your argument in your house. Don't let it get all out in the community. If there's something you don't like about me, if there's something you don't like about the bridge, <clears throat> if there's something you don't like about our body here and you're a part of this body, don't go out there in the unbelieving world and talk about that. They're looking for a reason. They're looking for a reason to call, to find fault in us. How many of you know that's really easy if you look really not that hard? <laughs> you can find a lot wrong with the church. Amen. So even when we disagree, even when we have different ideas and different thoughts and different philosophies, let us love. It's a sign that you're a Christian. I could preach on that so much more. He who does not love abides in death. Amen, amen. So that's not the bridge because we are a life-giving church. And to be a life-giving church, we got to be a loving church. A loving church. That's okay if once in a while you look at somebody and put your teeth together like this and say, Jesus, help me love that dude. Help me love that dudette. <laughs> Amen. It's not always easy. It's not always easy. So much more. Let's go to the last one today. Today we're going to call it the question of trust. Not just the question of keeping the commandments, cherishing, loving them, charting our life by the word. Not only love, but trust. Trust. That's what John says. And we're in the Amplified Bible, so uh, watch carefully here because some of this is in brackets as it explains the meaning. 1 John 5, 10 through 13, the one who believes in the Son of God, that means the one who adheres to the Son of God, the one who trusts in the Son of God, the one who relies confidently on Him as Savior. I'm so glad the Amplified Bible, Amplified believes right there. Amen. Because you can believe in George Washington, but you don't trust him for anything, do you? You haven't committed your life to him. So when it says believes here, here's the whole deal. The word believe in the Greek is much stronger than the word believe in English. So that's why I said this is not the trust test, or this is not the belief test. This is the trust. I believe in George Washington. Y'all believe in George Washington? But you don't trust him for your eternity. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe the word of God is true. I believe Jesus rose from the dead, but it's more than an intellectual faith. I trust him for my eternity. That's way beyond just simple belief. The one who believes in the Son of God, adheres to the Son of God, trusts in, relies confidently on Him as Savior, has the testimony, the evidence, 
within himself because he can speak authoritatively about Christ from his own personal experience. If you don't have an Amplified Bible, get you one. Do you write in your Bible, by the way? You say, no, I would never write in my Bible. We'll put that one away and go buy you one you can write in. You need to write in your Bible because the weakest ink is better than the strongest memory. So when I say something awesome, which should your Bible should be filled with that, you get to jot it down in the notes. Or when your favorite preacher says something awesome, like David Jeremiah or some loser like that. All right, next slide. First, I love David Jeremiah, by the way. First, first John 5, we're, verse, uh, we're still in verse 10. The one, listen to this now. The one who does not believe, the one who does not trust, adhere to God in this way. In other words, if all you've got is an intellectual faith in Jesus, an intellectual faith in God, that you believe in God, he says, I want you to know it's not enough to just have an intellectual. It's got to make the 18-inch drop to right here. The one who does not believe God in this way, you've got to go back to the first part of verse 10 to know what in this way means, has made him out to be a liar because God's given revelation. God's shown us who Jesus is, and God has shown us this is how you get to me, and this is how you uh, get reconnected with me after the fall in the Garden of Eden. This is how man gets reconnected back to me so he can have eternal life. He says, I've revealed all that to you, so let's go back and read it with that in mind. Y'all with me? Everybody say amen. amen. The one who does not trust God in this way has made him God out to be a liar because God has, because he, that person, has not believed in the what? Evidence. And where is the evidence? I mean, the evidence is everywhere, but where is it primarily? The Word of God has not believed in the evidence that God has given regarding his Son. Now let's go to verse 11. And the testimony is this. God has given us eternal life. You're not going to get it. When you you give your heart to Jesus, when you're saved, you're not going to get eternal life. You already possess it. Eternal life, when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and make Him Lord of your life, you receive eternal life right then. It is in you. And this life is in, and it's the only place it is. You say, that's pretty narrow-minded. I know. When it comes to narrow-mindedness as a church, we're narrow-minded about this. Aren't we? And this life is only in His Son. And what happens is it results in our spiritual completeness. So that tells me before I met Jesus, I was incomplete as a matter of fact before I met Jesus I wasn't just incomplete I was dead I was dead in my come on y'all know the Bible I was dead in my sin I was dead in my trespasses and sins but when I received Jesus when I when I I really don't like that as much as I like surrendered my life to Jesus when I yielded my life to Jesus when I believed the cross when I believed the resurrection and when I believed it for myself as my salvation, it resulted in my spiritual completeness. 
and eternal companionship with him. That's talking about heaven, not just now. Not just the sweet by and by, but the nasty now and now. Amen? Look at the next verse. Now, I'm not, I know I'm making some comments in here, but this is the word of God. He who has the Son, he who has Jesus, by accepting him as Lord and Savior, has the life. That is, what kind? Eternal. He who does not have the Son of God, by personal faith, does not have the life. Next slide. These things, and this is the verse we read at the beginning, but I want to show you in the context of the message today. These things I have written to you who already believe in the name of the Son of God, which represents all that Jesus Christ is and does, so that you will know with settled, here it is, here's that blessed assurance. Here it is, here it is. With settled and absolute knowledge that you already have eternal life so how do we know how do we know let's just wrap it up here how do we know how can I go through a day with all my blunders with all my mistakes that I make with all the things I said I wish I hadn't have said with all the things I thought that I wish I hadn't have thought how can I know how can I know? How can I walk around with confidence as a Christian when I blow it so often? When I know that I've charted my life by his word. When I, have, when I cherish his word. When I mess up, he blows the whistle, which is a beautiful sign that I'm his son. You know, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, God chastens those he loves. The word chastens means spanks. God believes in spanking. Anybody here had one from him? I know you parents, you young ones, you know, you don't spank and we've met your children, we know. So, <laughs> Y'all know I'm going to throw that in there. I'm old and cranky. All right, so. But do I cherish his word? Do I get it perfect every time? What's the answer to that? No. But do I love it? Does it break my heart when I break his heart? Does it break my heart when I know I've disappointed him? Then that means I love his commandments. I love his word. I love it. That's a sign that I'm a follower. That's a sign that I'm a disciple. But do I love you? Because I got to tell y'all something, and I'm way off the notes right now. And there's people up there that are doing my slides that are going, where is he now? I can't find where he's at. This part's God, okay? <laughs> I really believe it is. I've met people in church. I've been in church all my life. I've met some people who can quote Scripture. I've met people who can show you their Sunday school pens, their Sunday school pen. Y'all remember Sunday school pen? They're dragging the ground. Can I just be, can I just preach right here? 
I've been here 26 years. I think I can say it. I've met some mean people in church. I've met some judgmental, mean people who can quote all kind of Bible, show me their pens, talk about how their family established that church. And they're mean. My Bible says, I'm just telling you what my Bible says. My Bible says if I am a true follower of Jesus, I love. And when I step out of bounds and hold a grudge, when I step out of bounds and don't forgive, when I step out of bounds and and gossip, when I step out of bounds, remember what we read last week, not only do you have to love them, I hated this part. You ever read something in the Bible and you go, wow, I wish that wasn't in there. But we read last week, not only do I love them, but it said, I've got to hope the what? Y'all remember? I've got to hope the best for them. Well, I can love them, but I don't want to have to hope the best for them. Then that means I don't really. Everybody say, help me. Jesus. Because listen, listen, listen. You don't need some help to love like that. You can't love like that. I can't love like that. I mean, he said to us in the last passage of Scripture we led, uh, read last week, and I hope you'll get those sermons. He said, he said uh, they will know you're my disciples when they see that you what? Love who? Each other. He said, I want you to love each other the way, come on, I have. Everybody say, I'm going to need some help with that, Jesus. I'm going to need some supernatural help with that. You know what I want to say to Jesus? Have you met some of these people? <laughs> Amen. But you know, loving somebody doesn't mean you have to be their best buddy. And loving somebody doesn't mean you embrace their lifestyle. Our modern culture tells me today that I have to embrace the lifestyles that God has forbidden in his word. And if I don't embrace their lifestyle, I'm a hater. I don't hate them. I love them. They're welcome in this church. But I'm not going to embrace that lifestyle because my God said that that lifestyle is an abomination. But I love them. And if they walk through the door, I will hug them and greet them and welcome them. Because broken people need a hospital. And we're not a club for Christians in this church. We're not a club for Christians. We're a hospital for broken people. Matter of fact, we're all broken. We're all broken. Let me tell you some places where I'm broken. No, I'm not. I'm not. Matter of fact, I've been here 26 years. Y'all know most of them anyway. Amen, amen. So the trust test. The trust test. I trust God with my eternity. I've committed my life to him. I, um, I kind of got off the notes. 
Let me give you this as a last thought. Did you know that nowhere in the Bible, and I want you to really listen to me here because you might misunderstand me, and you might go out of here and go, you're not going to believe what Pastor Farrell said. Listen to me. Did you know that nowhere in the Bible does it say that you are to look to some experience in your past for proof of your walk with God today? I'm just saying it's not in there. Now, we do it all the time. I was saved at Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. I was a nine-year-old boy, and I walked down that aisle crying crocodile tears, signed a card, shook the preacher's hand. Matter of fact, I think I'm a member there still. Hey, you know what? I would never belittle that. But there's nowhere in the Bible where it tells you to look back on that day to know where you are with God today. As a matter of fact, in 1 John 2 or 3, 2 and 3 that we've read today, it doesn't say he that kept his commandments. You remember we read it? It doesn't say he that kept his commandments. It says he that keeps. It doesn't say in 1 John 3, 14, he who did love, it says he who the evidence of your relationship with God is who you are in that seat right now. You say, but, but, and I'm about to mess some people up. But I did it on 4th of July weekend because, you know, I'm going to make fewer people mad. <laughs> I got christened. My mom and daddy had me christened. Well, congratulations, dude. You wore a dress. They christened you. I'm not against christening. You can be christened all day long. We have baby dedications and children dedications, and we're going to do it here. But you understand me. The day you got christened, you didn't get saved. You didn't become a Christian. Well, they taught me. They told me. I took a class, and they said, I don't know what they said, and I don't know what they taught you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, and I've been telling you for the last three weeks, including today, for what the Bible says about that. Here's how you know. You don't know you're a Christian because you got christened. You don't know you're a Christian because what happened in Mount Pisgah Baptist Church 40 years ago. You know you're a Christian by what you are right now today sitting in that chair. Do I love his commandments? Do I love people? And do I trust him with my life? Those are the three questions. Those are the things that if you can settle them in your heart, then you can walk through this life not with any pride, but with so much humility, but at the same time, no, I'm a child of the King. You've got to know that. And if you don't know that, I would invite you to come to know the King today in this service. You can know it. Aren't you glad you can know it? Let's all stand together.